When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. Today's podcast episode coming to you on January 3rd, following the Jets' loss 6-23 in Seattle to the Seattle Seahawks. Geno Smith and the Seahawks had a few big plays against the Jets' super uninspiring defense, an uninspiring offense, a Mike White performance that looked very similar to a Zach Wilson performance. I mean, without some garbage time stat padding for Mike White, I mean, he was looking at like a 38 quarterback rating in this one. Really, really ugly game overall for the entire team. Um, so we're going to talk about some of that stuff. It's going to be a slightly different show because there's not really a lot to talk about. Now the Jets are officially eliminated from playoff contention. There's not a lot to look forward to in terms of the Miami week next week. It's going to be a little bit more evaluation. There are going to be some people that are hoping the Jets lose for a better draft pick. And really, we're not going to focus on that. So what we're going to do is we're going to do this podcast today, kind of talk about uh, Seattle Seahawks game, potentially some future stuff for the Jets, some draft positioning and all that. And then get to kind of close it out with what to look for for the remainder of the season. Then I'm going to take a couple weeks off and then do a season recap. I'm never going to do a, a recap of the Dolphins game specifically. At that point, the most relevant information, the most entertaining information is going to be kind of how did the season end up for these players? What are the contracts looking like? What are we looking at moving forward? Potentially some some slight free agency preview type stuff, but I want to do more research for that. I don't want to just pump it out in a, you know, a couple days. So it'll probably be like two, three, four weeks, whatever it is, after the Dolphins game. Look for that season recap. And then from there, it's going to the off-season schedule. We're going to be doing a free agency preview, a free agency review, draft preview, draft review, training camp battles, training camp stuff, preseason, all that. If everything goes as planned, that's the plan as of right now. If you're looking for more information, follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. Also, please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. Gang Green Nation podcast is the title. This is the Jet Life is the series title. So getting into this thing, we have to start with the news from what happened yesterday, the events of yesterday with DeMar Hamlin. You know, it was lined up to be a very exciting Bengals versus Bills game for, you know, supremacy of the AFC, Monday Night Football. And then midway through the first quarter, the unthinkable happens. DeMar Hamlin, a guy who stepped in and played really good safety for the Bills and with some injuries to other players. And he gets up from a hit. And then he falls to the ground, and it's kind of chaos on the field. In about eight minutes, we don't know what's happening. There's an ambulance. Players are swarming. You can't see anything. The looks on the, the faces of the players is super, super kind of unsettling. They're crying or, or yelling or on the ground or hands over their faces, and you're like, what the heck is going on? After about an hour, we find out that DeMar Hamlin needed CPR, perhaps an AED, needed to get resuscitated, put in the ambulance, and is in critical condition right now. He does have a pulse. They are uh, giving him oxygen, I believe, and, and keeping him alive. So that was just a crazy thing to happen. And 
I'm watching it live and just wondering, like, you know, what what's going on? And there's, you know, I've been watching football for a long time. You've always kind of expected that at some point we're going to see somebody have some spinal damage on the field and be paralyzed. Like, eventually something just horrible is going to happen. But to actually see it unfold the way that it did and as serious as it did in that state right then and there on the field um, and for all those players and everything, nobody wanted to go back to football. Nobody wanted to play that game. I certainly had no interest in continuing that game. All I cared about for the remainder of the night is just refreshing Twitter. What's going on with DeMar? What's going on? Is he okay? Looking for some sort of positive news so that I could sleep okay at night. And we haven't really gotten that yet. He does have a pulse. He is alive fighting for his life right now. He's in critical condition, but he's in the hospital being monitored. And hopefully we're going to be getting good news ASAP. And there's a ton of people that are waiting for that. So... Thoughts and prayers with DeMar Hamlin, the Buffalo Bills, his family, friends, the organization, anybody who's affected by this. I mean, I'm so far removed from DeMar Hamlin's life and even the fan base of the Buffalo Bills, and this still affected me in a pretty serious way because it's just that thing that you dread and you hope you never have to see watching a football game. You always worry what could happen, and this is about as bad as it gets, and he still has you know, a big mountain to climb in terms of recovery and getting better, and, and hopefully he can do that, so... Praying and thinking of him as much as I possibly can until we get some really good news. So I toyed with the idea of not even doing the podcast just to kind of, you know, let it breathe and everything. Like now wasn't really the time where I was feeling emotionally ready. I mean, you're talking about a Jets loss where they just knocked themselves out of the playoffs. So that in itself is depressing. But then this whole thing going, it's like, how do I even want to talk about this? But I think for myself specifically, the reason that I made this podcast was to vent. And I think that with everything going on emotionally, you know, for me, for the fans, for anybody else that's, you know, part of the NFL and watching the the games and everything, I think maybe sometimes a distraction is good. I think sometimes venting and just hearing other thoughts and and not focusing on something that's negative is kind of how I've gotten through life, not only being a Jets fan, but everything. So that's kind of what I'm going to do today. That's not to say that I'm not thinking of DeMar Hamlin and, and the Bills at all times. And throughout this podcast, I won't be checking my phone any single time I get an alert. I'm just looking to see if anything's come to come to news that he's gotten okay and if I see that on here I'll certainly you know stop the podcast for a minute but that's uh so we got going there prayers for DeMar super super uncomfortable but moving towards the New York Jets game another you know negative thing that we are dealing with not a very good week for football um at all especially for Jets fans here the Jets lose to the Seahawks. They lose to Geno Smith. Mike White plays horrible. I mean, he was bad, right? He He's he's not as out of control and chaotic as Zach Wilson when he's back there. It's not as, like, pathetic looking where it's like, geez, dude, this guy can't do anything. But, like, you're watching him. Mean, this just, the more he tries to rise to the occasion, the more he tries to play hero ball, the worse he is. He's good when he's dinking and dunking, five-yard passes, eight-yard passes, quick, tight, throw, throw. That's when he's doing really well. When it's like, all right, let's get the ball downfield. Let's throw to a player who's wide open, streaking. It hasn't really worked. He hasn't had a lot of big plays that weren't yards after catch, not a lot of air yards, um, except for some stuff in the middle of the field. But in this game, it just wasn't working from the very beginning. The Jets played an uninspiring game, and it was hard to watch. And we could see our season slip away. And the Jets, in Jets fashion this year, kind of what they've done all of 2022 was like, when they were losing games, they wouldn't lose horribly. They don't lose these games 14 to 54 like they might have last year. They lose these games like, it's the fourth quarter and the score is three to thirteen, and you're like, man. I mean, if they do get a good stop or a pick six or this or that, they could potentially, but it never really happens. Down this last stretch of games, he's with five game losing streak where they have four offensive touchdowns in five weeks. 
what we really needed was special teams to step up and the defense to step up. And at the exact moment that the offense got, like, really, really stale and nothing was working, the running game wasn't going, the offensive line was starting to suck, the quarterbacks were in shambles and going back and forth, exactly at the point that that starts happening, the defense gets less sacks and stops forcing turnovers. Early in the season, the offense was playing pretty well. We had a good offensive line, good running game, we could get things going in the air a little bit. And the defense was forcing turnovers and the Jets were winning. We were beating some really good teams, some teams now that we're seeing maybe we'll be in the playoffs. But then when one thing falls and everything does and the coaching staff can't get everybody back on track and it just kind of fizzles out like this, this is where it leaves us. The Jets are 7-9. and nine. They go to 4-4 four and four away, and they only score six points against the Seahawks team that they should be able to score more than that against. You know, Mike White, he's throwing 50% in this game. There's absolutely no opportunities really for any sort of consistency or long, good drives. The only time they get those six points is on two field goals, 44 yarders. And then Greg Zerline misses another long kick. It's like, we're not even getting easy field goals. It's not even like they're 35-yard field goals, like, oh, they drove all the way down to the red zone. The team wasn't even getting there. And then the turnovers and everything, it's just uh, not a lot going on. But when you talk positives of this game and you try to take something away from it, number one, Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed have been so good all year, and they never slowed down. They were healthy for basically 100% of the season. Sauce Gardner has been elite. He is playing, at least at this point in time this season, Probably like the best cornerback in the NFL. He's definitely top five cornerback in the league this year. Does that mean it's going to continue next year? Does it mean he's going to have an amazing week 18 against the Dolphins? No, it doesn't mean anything, but it means what he's done so far his rookie season has been incredible. And coming out of Cincinnati with the stat line that he had and the accolades that he had at Cincinnati, you were like, okay, that's really, really impressive. No touchdowns given up in college, but you're playing for Cincinnati, and it's going to be a lot different in the NFL covering these receivers week in and week out. And this week, you got a matchup of Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. And same for DJ Reed, who's five foot nine. We give him this big contract of, you know, three year, $30 million or so, and say, we hope that you can continue doing what you've done. And both of them have been incredible. They're both young guys who are going to be part of this unit for hopefully a very long time. And you just look at like the overall performance of Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf in this game. What, three catches, 18 yards for the two of them combined? Incredible performance from Sauce and DJ Reed. There's also a lot of optimism about, like, 70% of this Jets roster. A lot of different position groups are, like, really, really good. This is the best receiving class or, or group of receivers that we've had in a long time. The running backs, when you have a healthy Brees Hall, I mean, you're going to be talking about cutting either a Michael Carter or a Ty Johnson or a Zonovan Knight because you're going to have Brees Hall back. And that's talking that's better than cutting a Austin Walter or a LaMichael Pirine, right? This is a higher-quality running back. That's just a good group there. Tight ends are looking really good. We have those guys locked up. This is the best tight end group we've had in a while. Defensive line playing great. Quinn Williams out of his mind. The entire rookie class. The cornerbacks are doing awesome. Problem is there's a couple spots in the middle of the field on defense, right? We need to add a safety for sure. Some speed in the linebacker and some coverage ability in that linebacker group. We need to get a better offensive line and a quarterback. And the offensive line and corner, but quarterback are, you know, two of the most important things for an entire team. So while we have 80% of the roster really optimistic, it's that 20% that's going to be super, super crucial for the Jets to figure out in this offseason if they want to make the playoffs next year, have a better season than, you know, under 500 again. But optimism nonetheless for 2023, absolutely going in. All Jets fans feel so much better at this point in time leaving this season 
than they did at this time last year or at this time the year before. Probably this time the year before. And then lastly, you can see this is a positive or negative, but the luck didn't bounce the Jets' way at the end of the season. Early in the year, it did a little bit. That Browns game, absolutely luck bounced the Jets' way. But when you talk about what happened in the last five weeks in this losing streak, there were no fumbles. We were playing in the rain week after week, and nobody was dropping the ball from our opponents' teams. They weren't muffing punts. There weren't horrible penalties. It felt like in all these games, the opponent just couldn't do anything wrong. The officials saw nothing in all of our matchups. It was just thing after thing, and you're like, man, we just had such bad luck. Yeah, we played like shit, absolutely. But nothing went the Jets' way. And I think when you look at that and you're like, how can everything get bad all at once? We don't force any turnovers. Nobody's fumbling the ball. We can't get past our guys. We're not getting, you know, the other team's not getting penalties. We are getting penalties. People are getting injured, yada, yada. All that stuff goes together. And that's a negative. But when you think about it, like, that doesn't hold forever. Eventually, the ball does bounce your way. And early in the season, it did for the Jets. And it didn't at the end. But going into next year, there's no reason to think, oh, the Jets are never going to force another turnover. Just because it wasn't happening now. This team is capable of doing it. We saw it in the first half. We just have to get these guys back on the field, get them going again, get everybody rested up. And there's a lot of nagging injuries for players that are playing. You look at the Jets that are like, yeah, they're one of the healthier teams in the league when you look at starting units, specifically on defense. But so many guys are banged up and playing through injuries right now, guys like Michael Carter, guys like Zonovan Knight, people that had injuries forever ago and just are playing through it week in, week out, and that's just what they have to do for the remainder of the season. And they're not 100%. And they're not playing like they're 100%. Nate Herbig was playing injured. Tons of guys across the field. And people we don't even know about. Injuries that we haven't heard about. That they're just, you know, pushing them down right now. White knuckling through this season. But they're not where they were. Just because they're healthy doesn't mean they're the same level. And we're seeing that. So next year, I have a lot of optimism towards what we're going to have. You talk about the negatives of this game. The Jets came out flat. That's on the coaching staff. And that can't happen. I love Robert Sala. I love the unit that we have. But to come in and play a game like this, that's like the most important game in the Jets team in the last, you know, since 2015 or something, like this is a real win this game and the playoffs are still alive. And they come out and they score six points and on defense they're giving up big plays and people are missing assignments and stuff after this entire season. It's like, how could you not be ready for this game? How is this not the one that you've got your hair on fire? Do you remember that team early in the season that we watched the New York Jets with Quincy Williams and Quan Alexander flying all over the field? Jordan Whitehead, big hits everywhere. And it was like, man, I would be afraid to play the Jets. This team is nasty. They hit. And I'm saying to myself, we're a player or two away from getting personal fouls and guys ejected because we're just hitting so freaking hard, flying all over the field. That team hasn't been here in nine weeks. And it just, you'd think that they'd be able to come back for this. I know, like I said, playing through injuries, not 100% for all these guys. But just to, to bring it, that's what Robert Sala has to do. He's a leader. He's supposed to inspire, get us there. And he didn't. So that's a huge bummer and kind of a glaring thing for his resume. In no way do I want Robert Sala gone. But if I'm, you know, before I didn't have many complaints at all, this is my first one. This is my first time where it's just like, all right, Rob, get your shit together because we got to win these games next time. And we can't be doing this at the end of next season. If we're fighting for the playoffs and everything, got to find a way to rally the troops. Another negative, of course, the Jets are out of the playoffs. Five-game losing streak. That sucks. Mike White, also, this audition that we have at the end of the season, it's like, hey, Mike, we know that Zach Wilson sucked and this and that. You're fighting through injuries as well, and you haven't really gotten an opportunity, but hey, here you go. Two games. Win these two games, one against the Seahawks, one against the Dolphins, two winnable games, relatively healthy roster around you, an opportunity to game plan and be the starter and everything. 
Get in there and show us what you can do. Can you potentially be the starter for next season? He comes away with six points, had a 38 quarterback rating deep into the fourth quarter, was at or below 50% completion percentage for a lot of this game. He had two interceptions, sacked four times. Really, really bad performance from Mike White. So in his audition opportunity to get that big payday, he comes out and plays an uninspiring game as well. Inaccurate like we've never seen before. Maybe it's the fractured ribs, maybe not. But the guy's been in the league for a very long time, like, you know, four or five years. And now he's getting this opportunity here, and he couldn't rise to it, and he's been injured a bunch of times. And there's only so many times you can sit back and say, like, make excuses for the guy and then go back in and potentially not win again. You get coaching staffs fired. You get organizational front office people fired if that happens. So you don't have a lot of wiggle room in that regard. I think that this was a good opportunity for him to show what he can do. Kind of backfired for him. And now the Jets have more questions going into next year. Because there's no way leaving this game they feel confident with Mike White 100%. They might say, like, the team is great around him and he can be good enough. That would be fine. There's no way that they feel comfortable with Zach Wilson starting. So there's no real, like, guy that's going to carry the Jets. It's going to be whether or not the team carries the quarterback, in which case Mike White probably gives us the best chance for that, or you got to go elsewhere. Or we need crazy amounts of development in the offseason, but how many times have we been convinced that guys are getting better in training camps and whatnot, and then we see him on the field, and it's like, he doesn't look any better. He looks the exact same. And the last negative is there's probably going to be a decent amount of changes, um, <clears throat> particularly the offensive line and quarterback. And in one respect, that's a good thing. We want a new quarterback. We want a new offensive line. That's going to be really good. But the uncertainty right now, the uncertainty of can we actually make the offensive line better? Are we going to find these guys? Can we get an Elijah Vera Tucker, maybe even a Mekhi Becton back? And is there somebody that we can get to play quarterback, or are we going to be coughing up $45 million for Derek Carr, trading away a first-round pick and having to give up a guy like you know Garrett Wilson and Quinn Williams to get Derek Carr in this roster, and all of a sudden you end up in a situation kind of like the Broncos are in, overpaying for a Russell Wilson because you're just so freaking desperate to get a guy. There's nobody that you love in the draft. You don't have a good enough draft pick to get him, even if you did. You don't have the guy in the roster right now. The free agency class isn't looking super hot for quarterbacks. It's a tough spot to be in for the Jets. So overall... I think we've seen the groundwork being laid. I think we've seen that the coaching staff can do their jobs. No, I don't want Mike LaFleur fired. Would I like to change the defensive scheme? Absolutely, I'd like to stop playing a soft zone, but I don't think Robert Sala or Jeff Ulbrich are going to do that. I think if Robert Sala was to fire Ulbrich and bring in another guy, it would probably be a very similar scheme of lineup four, not a lot of blitzing, get after the quarterback, play your zone, bend, don't break, attack at the uh, the kill zone and everything, and that it would probably just be a little bit more of the same. So... Don't see a lot changing there, but I do see an opportunity for the Jets to add a couple new guys, a quarterback, a couple offensive linemen, and get this team to the playoffs. We exceeded expectations for most of this year, and then we underperformed for the end of this year. But it really came down to, at the end, the uninspired play, which I think is easier to overcome when you have an offense that's doing a little bit more. And to get that offense doing more, an offensive line, and a quarterback. That's the focus right now. Middle of the defense as well. But if the Jets can do it, run it back and make smart decisions with Joe Douglas, maybe one more amazing draft class, man, I have I have really high hopes for this team. So we're going to see all that kind of come to fruition and unravel. But at least we're starting from this 7-9 and nine, or potentially 7-10 and 10 or 8-9 and nine roster when the season's over. We're going to be moving from this roster, trying to win one, two, three more games to make the playoffs. Not from last year's roster, trying to win five, six, seven more games to make the playoffs. We're in a much more favorable spot, and we know we've found some absolutely elite talent on this roster that will be here for the years to come. So that's my thoughts on the Jets right now and where we stand. 
We do have to see what my dad, David Burnham, thinks in this week's Father Time. So, without further ado, this is My Dad's Submission, Father Time, titled Nearing the End. Here we go. The Jets are in a tailspin with a current string of losses that has been painful to watch. We're aware of most of the problems that have contributed to the debacle that started as a December problem and has spilled into a January problem. But it's been years since we played a big game in January. We were excited to play to remain in the playoff hunt. Unfortunately, we lost in an uninspiring way. But let's remember that it was the January of 2023 game, Week 17, where we were in the mix. So, with one more game left in the regular season, do we care about a win in Week 18? Do we really care if we beat Miami to finish off the season? Some facts and draft nuggets. With a loss against the Dolphins to close out the season, the highest first-round pick the Jets can have is 10th overall, and the lowest it can be with a win is 17th. The possibility of picking in the top 10 next spring would be nice. It's tempting. Do we play practice squad players to wrap up the season? Do we play for that 10th overall pick? I think the Jets need to win this Sunday. The Jets need this game badly. They need to exercise their demons of the last five losses with a win. It means a season sweep of the Dolphins in Miami and a division record on the year of 3-3. Three and three. Salah needs to right the ship and give his team a final victorious high five as they pack up their lockers. The rookies especially need to go home on a positive note because a win will give a better mindset going forward. So, on Sunday, go for the much-needed win and finish strong. As Coach Herman Edwards would say, you play to win the game. Would we expect anything less? No. All gas, no breaks. Go, Jets, and prayers for DeMar Hamlin. End scene. So, yeah, I mean, my dad didn't call out any specific players in this game. He didn't talk about what happened other than the fact they came out uninspired in this, which we know, and it was lame. And really what he's doing is he's looking forward to Miami because that's what we do. We keep looking forward. We're full of hope. We look at next year, the next draft, and we're going to keep doing that until we win in playoffs, and every team is doing that. That's just part of the sports process. When you look at this next week, we're not giving up on the season yet. Football Sunday is the best days of my life. Every year, those 17 games the Jets play, 16 games, whatever it's been, those are the best days of my life. And we've got one more on this upcoming Sunday, assuming the game can be played, see what the NFL does in, in regard to the, uh, the injury to DeMar. But if they do, yeah, I want to see the Jets win. No, I'm not going to be as fired up as a normal week. It's not going to be the same level of intensity as going up against the Seattle Seahawks, but I want to see our guys win. I want to see them leave on a positive note. I want to see them do that high five, get on the bus, and say, you know what? Man, we played like shit for the last five weeks, but we know what to do. We're going to get it together, and we're going to come back stronger next year. What I don't want is them to lose six straight games, lose to Miami in embarrassing, horrible fashion, put their tail between their legs, get on the bus and say, what the hell happened? Maybe we weren't as good as we thought we were. We got a lot of work to do and, and be in a negative mindset in the offseason. We need positivity. We need these guys bought in as they were early in the season when they thought they could beat anybody. And we all thought they could beat anybody because they believed it. But somewhere along the way, it felt like they didn't even think they could anymore. And we need to see that come back. It needs to carry into next season, and it can start here against Miami. Sure, it can lose five, six, seven draft spots. But in reality, I mean, for me specifically, I haven't started looking at the draft class upcoming. I don't even know who would be 10th overall. I don't know who would be 17th overall. There's not a specific guy or target that I have. I just know I'm looking at offensive line in the middle of the defense primarily in this draft, maybe an edge rusher if they really want to go that route, but I don't think they probably have to. Either way, I think my dad is right. I want to win. I want to exercise those demons. I'll, I'll give up 
three, four, five draft spots to feel good leaving the season, to see this team play well one more time. So 100% agree with you, Dad and Coach Edwards. Thank you for the father time. That's all I got for uh, for that segment and the top of this podcast. We are now going to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Live. So we just tossed, dr- talked draft order for the Jets. They're currently 13th with a 7-9 and record. They're going to play the Dolphins this week in Miami, and then they'll figure out whether they're going to go as high as 10, as far down as 17. But that's kind of where the Jets are right now. They're no longer in the playoff hunt. But for the respect to the rest of the AFC and the process that we've gone through all year, just looking at the playoffs really quick, we've got clinched Kansas City Chiefs, Buffalo Bills, Cincinnati Bengals, the Chargers, and Baltimore Ravens will be playing in the playoffs. We got a game between the Jacksonville Jaguars and Tennessee Titans. It's going to determine who's going to win that division. That comes this week. And then you've got, you know, if one of those teams loses, they have an opportunity. If the Patriots lose to the Bills, if the Dolphins lose to the Jets, that would make an opportunity for the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Tennessee Titans, or Jacksonville Jaguars to be in the mix. Um, but essentially, if the Dolphins, if the Patriots beat the Bills, the Patriots are in the playoffs. If the Patriots lose to the Bills, it'll be the Dolphins if they can beat the Jets. If the Patriots and the Dolphins lose, it'll drop down to the Steelers or the Titans or the Jaguars, depending on what the outcomes of those games are. So there's a lot of different scenarios where different teams can make it, but I think the number one thing that we want to see at this point in time is the Dolphins and Patriots not making it. So if we can beat the Dolphins and knock the... I don't want to knock the Dolphins out just to get the Patriots into the playoffs if they beat the Bills somehow, right? But if we know that the Bills are going to beat the Patriots and the Patriots can't make it, knock the Dolphins out too. Let's get this entire AFC East out of the playoffs except for the Bills... Let them do their thing, but like I said, we're going to have to see how the NFL decides to move forward with the games because we still haven't finished the Buffalo Bills versus Cincinnati Bengals game, and rightfully so. There's no reason they should have, but right now it doesn't have a pickup date, and if the Bill- Buffalo Bills are able to play this coming Sunday, would they play the Bengals or would they play the Patriots, and how would that affect the rest of the season schedule? I have no idea. I think if they need to wait two weeks, three weeks, a month to finish, Maybe. If they need to just cancel the Buffalo Bills game and the, uh, the Buffalo Bills versus Bengals game, maybe. I mean, some things are more important than football, and DeMar Hamlin's life is more important and what's going on in Buffalo right now. I can't imagine they can be mentally prepared to play any sort of football game. So do I blame if they say, like, listen, we got to figure something out. The entire league has to make a major change. Yeah, I don't blame them at all. I don't blame them at all. And there is like a week between the AFC-NFC championship games and the Super Bowl where there's just a week off and they do like, you know, media week and everything with the Super Bowl teams. They could potentially condense the season, take out that bye week, and just go straight from the championship games to the Super Bowl, giving them one more week of pushback. Maybe they don't play, you know, maybe they cancel the Buffalo Bills and Bengals game somehow, and they don't play any NFL game this week and everything's pushed back one more week. It's possible. We'll wait for news and what they're going to do there. But again, the most important thing is DeMar Hamlin. So first and foremost, we wait, we see what happens with him, and then we go from there. So talking about this Seahawks game and what the heck the Jets did wrong, it was more of the same. It's what we've seen for the past few weeks. It's a bad rushing attack. It's a messy offensive line. It's sloppy play, some drops here and there from guys that you expect to catch the ball, and quarterback play that's inaccurate and just super, super inefficient. It was Zach Wilson at first, and that was chaotic because he runs around the pocket and his throws are sometimes just so horrific. You're like, man, what is he doing? But then you get Mike White in there, who's supposed to be a steadying force and can throw those quick, easy dink and dunks and be accurate, and he couldn't in this game. He was all over the place. He looked a mess. He doesn't have the athleticism to pick it up. When he threw down field, he was almost picked off like two or three times. He 
did throw two bad interceptions, got sacked four times. I mean, regardless of who he had, and Streveler had a couple drives as well, right, in garbage time where maybe you can get some points. Jets have four touchdowns in the last five games. What the hell is that? That's just, with the playmakers that we have, I mean, man, you would think there would be an opportunity to just, like, accidentally end up in the end zone, right? I mean, the uh, Cleveland Browns gave Corey Davis a free touchdown out of nowhere in a game where, like, they absolutely had to stop us. We're playing games down by two or three scores in the fourth quarter, and we can't even come up with an accidental touchdown. It's uh, It's been really, really lame on offense, and it starts the quarterback, right? The last three games we've played, whether it's Zach Wilson or Mike White, it's been bad. So we got to try to figure it out. Um, we're probably going to play Mike White against the Dolphins. I think that makes the most sense. I don't think we need to see Zach Wilson right now. He clearly needs to develop. Mike White, development for him is less important because he's more of a product that's like, all right, you were drafted later. We know you're a smart kid, and you've been here for a while, and you're solid. But, like, he's kind of – his ceiling is probably more like a good backup if he can't really, really shine in the starts that he gets. And he's had enough where it's like, all right, he's going to have to wait maybe another year or two before he gets a lot of starts, most likely. Um, Zach Wilson will get the benefit of the doubt for longer just because the high draft pick and the investment gone into him. Mike White, potentially expendable because of the investment in him as well. He's also a free agent upcoming in the season. So, you know, does he deserve a contract to be a backup for the Jets? Yes, I think so. But does he deserve to be the starting quarterback for us moving forward? I don't think so. When you look at running back, I talked last week about how I hoped that Ty Johnson could be a spark plug with fresh legs to come in here and maybe be an offensive force for us and get something going. And he did. In this game, he had eight carries, 46 yards, 5.8 per, a couple really nice runs. But they didn't use him enough. They gave Zonovan Knight the same number of carries, eight. He had 3.4 yards per carry. 19 of those came on one run, so not a lot of uh, efficiency elsewhere. Michael Carter, he had two yards on one carry. And this guy's, like, supposed to be a weapon. And people were actually upset when we drafted Brees Hall a little bit because they're like, well, we have Michael Carter. Is that going to take away Michael Carter's carries? What's going to go on there? Is it all going to go to Brees? We don't want to take Carter out of this offense. And it's like, man, Carter took himself out of this offense. The offensive line has not been good. I don't blame them at all. But his inefficiency compared to every other running back, like the Ty Johnson, Zonovan Knight, and Brees Hall, his inefficiencies compared to them all season long, it's kind of glaring. And I like what he can do because he can catch out of the backfield, and he's a great guy and a great teammate and everything. But I don't think I can go into the next year saying this is a two-headed monster between Brees Hall and Michael Carter. I think I'm going in saying this is Brees Hall's backfield, and I hope Michael Carter can stick around and stay on this roster and get back to where he was. When you look at tight ends, this was another good game for the tight ends. Uzama was pretty hot a couple weeks ago. Conklin really hot in this game. Six receptions, six targets. He had 80 yards, a nice 30-yarder, ripped through some guys, going downfield, big banging tight end. He was our offensive player in the game this week, so nice to see Tyler Conklin get an offensive player of the game. Our tight ends have been a good group for us. As bad as the wider, as bad as bad the quarterback play has been and, and the lack of offense and everything, I think overall compared to what we're used to seeing in recent years with the Jets, like this is a nice little duo of Conklin and Uzoma. It's made, and they've been healthy all year, so it's made us that we haven't seen any Kenny Yaboa, no Jeremy Rucker. And, uh, you know, we're still developing Rucker, and one day he'll get an opportunity, and I think he'll be probably pretty good. But for now, we feel good about what we have there. Wide receivers, Corey was given a couple bad throws. He did get three catches for 45 yards somehow in this game. Barrios made a nice big snag. I was hoping he could do a little bit more, but he had, you know, one big 24-yarder that was like big fiery play. Thought he could get the team going. Couldn't. 
This was yet another game where Elijah Moore just could not get on the same page with the quarterback, couldn't get anything going in our offensive scheme. And I don't know what it is because we had the same play caller last year in Mike LaFleur. We had the same Mike White, Joe Flacco, and Zach Wilson last year. And everybody was super high on Elijah Moore. Like, man, look at this guy move. Look what he can do. And then we go another year. Garrett Wilson joins the mix. And Elijah Moore, obviously a little bit frustrated with the team, asks for a trade. But he's looked really bad. Garrett Wilson, who's looked really, really good all year, not so much in this game. He had a bad drop, only three catches for 18 yards. He had 11 targets. Three catches on 11 targets. That's tied for the third most targets he's had all season. It's the third fewest yards he's had all season. So this was just such an inefficient game. You know, from him as well, and a lot of that goes back to Mike White. The guy was throwing errant passes all day, not making it easy on anybody. But... Garrett Wilson couldn't, you know, bring the team up and carry when everything was just down and not working. The few catches that he did get, they weren't able to just be exploded into, you know, 50, 60 yarders that we didn't deserve but somehow got because he's so elite. You know, like I said, the luck wasn't bouncing our way for the last few weeks, five weeks, six weeks. And, uh, yeah, it's just a bummer. Mims was silent. Mims was silent. Talking offensive line, the struggles continued. Nate Herbig has been banged up, playing worse, than he has all season for like the last three, four weeks. This week he wasn't even playing. He may be back this upcoming week against the Dolphins, not so sure. The doctor comes in, LDT, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif plays there instead of Dan Feeney. Maybe it's an upgrade, maybe not. The running game had 75 total rushing yards, sacked four times. It wasn't a great offensive line performance regardless. The doctor wasn't grinding people into submission. We weren't pounding the rock or anything like that. Would have been nice, but Mike White was hit 10 times. And we need a pretty big revamp of that offensive line. Can we get Mekhi Becton back? Probably not, but maybe. Elijah Vera Tucker has to be back in there, has to play at the level that we know he can. Maybe you have Connor McGovern back. Maybe you keep a Herbig as a backup, a Fant as a backup swing tackle. Maybe Dwayne Brown there as a backup option, but we need to get some new starters. Tomlinson's probably going to be there because of the contract we gave him. Really, really big contract. He's not really meeting the expectations, but we need to get some guys in there that are better at a high level when they're healthy. We need to get some guys on the depth group that's better. So, yeah, invest heavily in that offensive line to make it easier on these quarterbacks so that we can't give them the excuse of an offensive line. We got the weapons. We got the running backs. Get that offensive line figured out. Give your quarterback every single chance to possibly succeed. So that is our offense. Now, before we go to defense and special teams, we do have to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right, folks. This is What's on Tap. And today, I am drinking a 12-ounce India Pale Ale from Founders called Centennial IPA. It is uh, featuring Centennial Hops, which probably gives the name Centennial IPA. And it's pretty solid. Kind of tastes like a session. Got to see the alcohol level in this because I don't think I checked it. It could be dangerous. You have no idea. You think you're... 7.2. There you go. I'm thinking I'm drinking like a session because it kind of tastes like that. Maybe a little boozier, maybe a little darker than a session. 7.2%. So this little 12-ounce can has a little bit more kick than I thought, a little bit more firepower. So maybe I will uh, enjoy it a little more now. If it was a 12-ounce, 16-ounce can at 7.2 right now, I'd be like, eh, maybe a little too much because it's a small little... I feel like mini cans now, right? The 12 ounce cans, because I'm so used to drinking these these big ones. It's like, God, oh, these little, just child size. Yeah, 
not so bad. So I this was like we had a big New Year's Eve party. This was either leftover from one of our guests or roommate Kyle got it, and I stole it from him. But it was up in the beer fridge, which is a hodgepodge of just stuff. I have so much overflowing alcohol that it's in a cooler outside. It's like 50 degrees in Connecticut right now, so it's not even really working. But there's nowhere else for me to put it. It doesn't fit in the fridge. At least outside in the cooler, it's like kind of chilled a little bit and not going to freeze. But at the same time, I'm like in my New Year's resolution state where I'm saying I got to drink less this year. I got to get back on my diet, get back into that wedding bot I had for about three and a half weeks. And all these beers isn't going to help. But at least today, I have a nice What's on Tap Centennial IPA by Founders. So that's What's on Tap. Now, before we go to defense and special teams, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This Is The Jet Life. Talking defense in this game. Jets give up 23 points. They didn't have any games this year where they really, really got trounced, but this was one of the ones that felt bad because coming off off of that Jaguars game, where they only gave up 19 points, but like 450 yards of offense in the rain, and you're like, man, that was kind of ugly. we got to be a little bit better than that. And they do this, and right away, Kenneth Walker gets a huge freaking run, and they have big plays, and Geno Smith is running, and they're throwing to the tight ends wide open in the field, and you're like, what the heck is going on? It was not a nice-looking defensive performance, especially in a game when it's like, okay, two things. One, we have to win. This is a must-win game against the Seahawks. And two, the offense isn't giving us anything on their side of the ball, so it's going to have to happen from the defensive side. We need that fumble. We need that turnover. Let's get some pressure on the quarterback. Let's make some chaos. Let's, you know... <laughs> Change the game up, but that didn't happen. There was some good pressure from the defensive line. I'll give them that. We had a sack for Carl Lawson, John Franklin Myers. We had a split for Solomon and uh, Michael Clemens. We had a fourth team sack, as uh, nobody really was credited for it, but the Jets did get a sack there. So four total sacks in the game. I was hoping to see a good one from Carl Lawson and John Franklin Myers because they're high-paid guys in the defensive line. They both did give us a sack, so I can't complain too much about their performances. Quinton Williams, he, you know, Maybe potentially looked like he had a quiet game, but he had four quarterback hits in this one. He was making his presence felt. He was, you know, Geno Smith wasn't extremely impressive in this one. He had 183 passing yards, two touchdowns, no picks. So it was an efficient game. It's kind of like what you were looking for from a Mike White or something like that. But, uh, you know, we still were making him uncomfortable, and that's why he was only able to get 183 passing yards. You know, we were shutting down the receivers and stuff and, and making his job difficult. What made it easy for them is they had 198 rushing yards on 38 carries, 5.2 yards per rush. Imagine being able to run 38 times for 5.2 yards per carry. That's how you win a game at home to get into the playoffs. I know they're not necessarily in. They need a loss from the Packers to get there, but they did exactly what they should do. They just pound the rock, keep it easy, keep it out of Geno's hands. Your wide receivers aren't working. You can't do anything with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Okay, pound the rock. Man. Did that work for them? Things came easy to the Seahawks. Something that we haven't really seen from the Jets' offense in quite some time. When you look at the linebackers, the middle of the field is becoming more and more of a weakness as the year has gone on, and I think some of it was like when everybody's 100% healthy, Quan Alexander, C.J. Mosley, and Quincy Williams were absolutely freaking flying, and they were knocking skulls, and they were hitting that kill zone. And then his teams kind of figured out, like, all right, we're seeing what they're doing, and they're pretty predictable in their approach and their pursuit. C.J. Mosley a little bit more capable than the other two. But um, as time goes on and they get a little bit slower and they're not exactly 100%, and now you can start hitting those tight ends and those crossing routes, those Noah Fans and those Gerald Everett's and those guys that are just teeing up on us and, and having, unfortunately, 
No, it wasn't Gerald Everett. It was um, Evan Engram. But still, the point being, like, in that middle of the field is where they were really attacking us. And we were able to take two cornerbacks and basically take receivers out of games over and over again. But still, quarterbacks are throwing for only 190 yards, and our defense is doing pretty good against the run in most cases, but our offense can't carry us. And then at the end of the year, everybody's tired, and it went downhill. So I think that, you know, Quincy led the team in tackles, but he had a really bad missed tackle in this one. They gave up a huge play to them. That sucked. CJ has been really solid and has had a, a good year, for sure. He deserves to be on the team. He's a good captain, all that stuff. But, like, he's not game-changing the way that we wished he would. You know, every once in a while, just wreck a game, right? Get a sack, a pick, a force fumble. Like, man, who else but CJ doing that big thing? Instead, it's like he gets to the guy, he tackles him, he takes him down. He's calling defensive plays. He's kind of our quarterback of the defense. But I'd like to see a little bit more just, like, bang and splash from a guy like him, especially with the contract he's getting. And to me, Quan hasn't been used enough. I think that Quincy Williams has been the first guy off. You know, it's been C.J. Mosley and then Quincy Williams right next to him on most snaps. I think Quan Alexander probably, when the defense wasn't working and we needed a spark or something, maybe you take Quincy out, you put Quan in a little bit more frequently. We shall see um, what they do next year because that's an, an obvious area that needs a little bit of improvement. I'm not saying that I want anybody gone, but just to have a little bit more Speed, coverage ability, and pizzazz in that group, I guess, especially later in the year. We talked cornerbacks. Sauce is the defensive player of the game. That performance he had was ridiculous. He had four pass deflections. He now has 20 pass deflections on the year. The next most, I believe, is James Bradbury. The next most is 15 pass deflections. He's five more, which is 25% more than number two in the league. 20 PDs as a rookie, playing out of his mind week in, week out with the nickname Sauce. And you know these guys like D.K. Metcalf want to go up against him. We saw D.K. Metcalf with his hand in Sauce's face and Sauce with his hand in D.K.'s face. He saw that drama and everything, and D.K. couldn't wait to do it. Oh, Sauce, we got our guy Tariq Woolen here. I can't wait to exploit you. And it didn't matter if they put Tyler Lockett or D.K. Metcalf on Sauce Gardner. He was absolutely shut down. Those two guys combined Lockett and Metcalf for three catches on seven targets for 18 yards. Those great receivers. That is a, a testament to D.J. Reed as well, who played a very, very good game and had a couple really nice plays in this one. But for Sauce Gardner to look this good for the entire season and stay healthy, man. Number four overall pick. I mean, you can't ask for more than what we've seen. My dad will make complaints from time to time about Sauce's lack of tackling. Ooh, Deion Sanders' business decision every time a guy's running at him. He doesn't want to get hit. Oh, Sauce, a little lame on that. And it's like, dude, the way he covers guys, would you rather him make a tackle and potentially injure that slender frame that he has to stop a running back from getting three, four more yards, or shut DK Metcalf down for, you know, a catch or two. I would take shut down the great receiver every single time, time and time again. He did great against Stefan Diggs, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, guy after guy, and he's awesome. He's our defensive player of the game. DJ Reed doesn't get enough credit because he's overshadowed by a guy that's got a nickname Sauce that was drafted fourth overall flashy, and is slightly better, but DJ Reed is right behind him. Both awesome. Michael Carter, I think he's slowed down as the year went on. He's another guy that was injured and hasn't really been the same as he was the first half of the season. He's still a good player, but um, I hope next year he comes back playing the way he did in the first half. And then safety, Whitehead is okay. He's good. I mean, I like the way he hits. He's young. He's athletic. He's pretty consistent. You know what you're going to get, but he's not great in coverage, and he's not super fast. So we are able to be exploited, especially if our linebackers don't have the speed. 
And LaMarcus Joyner was a guy that we were worried about going into the season, ended up being okay for the Jets. Some balls bounced his way. He made the most of those opportunities. But he's been banged up, injured again, probably not going to play again in Week 18, which means undrafted free agent Tony Adams is probably going to get another opportunity to start. Aside, Jordan Whitehead, I think the Will Parks experiment is over. He's already been cut and brought back to the practice squad, back on the roster. But, like, I think it's clear that he's a special teamer, not a starter safety. And Tony Adams is going to get an opportunity, which kind of says to you two things. One, Tony Adams maybe will be fighting for a backup spot. He's definitely not fighting to be the Jets' starting. He's like an Elijah Riley of last year where it's like, yeah, serviceable minutes from a guy that we didn't expect it from. But don't expect this guy to now be some world beater. We need somebody good back there. Tony Adams can fight for a backup spot to be a part of the team and keep growing, and you know maybe one day he can be that, but we need to see more before we put him in a spot like that. But like, how telling of an Ashton Davis, who at this point isn't really playing at all, special teams here and there, but it's hard to imagine him coming back unless they really want to turn him into some sort of special teams wizard instead of like a Justin Hardy, which is something that I think they should do with him, but the fact that they didn't or haven't either means that he can't or they don't have faith in him or they haven't tried it yet, but his time is definitely <laughs> dwindling here in New York. So that is our defensive side of the ball. Talking special teams, Greg the Leg made two 44-yarders. Those are too long of kicks for him to be his short ones. He missed a long 50-yarder, you know, two for three in this game, whatever. Our only points come from those kicks. They're still far. Braden Mann, I think I'm over Braden Mann. He had another shank kick in this one. Yeah, he was trying to dodge a guy who was trying to block the kick, but... At the end of the day, like, this guy makes too many mistakes, and yes, he can do good things, but I've come to the realization that he is going to make another mistake, even if he has a good game, two games, three games in a row. He is bound to do something pretty stupid, and that can't happen when we make the playoffs. We can't finally make the playoffs after all this time and all this work that we're putting in, all our young rookies, and our punter has, like, two shanks or something really stupid in the game, and we're like, what the hell? We just lost the game because of that. I think I'd rather have a dude like Ryan Quigley who's just going to punt the ball 45 yards every single time, then a dude is potentially going to lose us a game. If our team sucked, I'd be like, yeah, take the flashy guy. Sometimes he sucks. Sometimes it's amazing. At least it's something fun. But, like, for us to be a good team, we need some consistency there. We can't be losing a game because of a punter. So, I don't know. He's short leash for him, in my opinion. Braxton Berrios, minimal impact. So our special teams player of the game is going to be Justin Hardy, pro bowler, who had some nice gunning in this game and got down the field first on a nice DJ Dallas, which was... Would have been a nice DJ Dallas return, but Justin Hardy gets there first. The gunner, Justin Hardy in this case, his job is not to make the tackle on the guy that gets the ball. It's to make him stop, backpedal, take a step left to right, and then somebody else comes there to clean it up. There's more guys behind, right? So just don't let the guy get a full head of steam going up and against your defense. Justin Hardy did that really nicely and doesn't get enough credit for the nice plays that he makes because he does some bonehead things here and there. He's minimally impactful in the overall outcomes of these games, but... He does play well. So all that's left is what to look for in Week 18. The Jets play Miami on Sunday at 1 p.m. on Fox. The spread right now is even because two is coming back from a concussion. What's up with that guy? We've got uh, the opportunity for Teddy Bridgewater to play, but he's got a finger injury, so can he play? Is it going to be Skylar Thompson again? Who, if you don't remember, the last time he played the Dolphins, Tua couldn't play because of concussion, so Teddy Bridgewater comes in, gets hit. He leaves the game after, like, the first play, a safety from Sauce Gardner. And then Skylar Thompson comes in, and that's who we play. It's possible like the same sequence of events basically happens again and causes us to play Skylar Thompson. For the Jets, it's probably going to be Mike White, as I mentioned. I think it should be. Let's just watch him one more time, give Zach Wilson a chance to just keep developing. 
and not open up that can of worms going into the offseason. AFC implications we talked about. Best case scenario, the Jets win, the Bills beat the Patriots, and the Steelers or Titans win, and the Patriots and Dolphins both don't make the playoffs. That would be very cool. Um, we'll see. The Jets are playing to keep the Dolphins out of the playoffs. They're playing for draft positioning, to evaluate their players, and to get some momentum building in that building. Building in the building. That would be great. My prediction, I mean, I don't know. I I don't believe in superstition, but the coin was very funny because it was right like nine weeks, and I was like, man, how is the coin right every single week? It's insane that somebody flipped a coin. And then the Jets beat the Bears, and it's like, ah, uh, that was against the prophecy. The coin was wrong. But since they did that and broke the prophecy, every single game on that list has been opposite of what the coin said. It's almost like the Jets weren't supposed to beat the Bears, and then from there they broke the, the coin and now we're cursed to get the opposite result. Obviously, I don't believe in that, but it is interesting. And if the Jets beat Miami, it would be true, and we could talk about it for a little bit longer. So I think the Jets find a way to beat Miami. They Also, we don't know who their quarterback's going to be. If it's Skylar Thompson, probably doesn't play a great game. And knowing these Jets, like we're probably going to come out and play now with our hair on fire, the best Mike White game we've seen, and all these guys just playing awesome to end the season, which will be nice to see if it can happen. But, like... Just, oh, great, you bring it now. Why, at this point in time, did everybody decide to show up and start caring? That's just what I predict. I mean, there's also the scenario where we just suck and score three points again, and we leave this season losing to the Dolphins just like, this was such a horrible, deflating way to end it. I hope that doesn't happen. I'm rooting for the Jets. I say we can win this game, and I think we should win this game. And Forget about draft positioning and just end on a high note. That's what I want to do. It's been a pretty miserable last... Five, six weeks after a really, really fun start. We did play a meaningful game in January. It sucked basically from the first play of the game to the very end. But let's go out with a bang. Let's look towards next year, look towards the draft and free agency. Watch the playoffs with a little bit more positivity in our minds. Hopefully not watch Miami or the Patriots even make the playoffs, let alone, God forbid, make a freaking run. Can you imagine? Whew. But, uh, yeah, that's it. Like I said, um, the most important thing right now within the NFL is DeMar Hamlin's health, so obviously monitoring that and making sure that he's okay. That is number one, paramount. Then from there, we'll focus on playing football games if everybody's mentally and emotionally right within the league and around the league. And just try to have some fun with the last Jets game. If it's this week, if it's the week after, um, just try to have fun with it. They don't, uh, they don't come around often enough. It's a very long, very long offseason takes forever to get through every single year. It's the worst part of the year. It's uh, it's tough to do. So I'm going to take uh, the week after this next game off, probably going to be two, three weeks off after the Dolphins game, and then come back with a season recap. Going to run that thing out and just put a pin in this season, see how we finished up, whether we were 7-10 and 10 or 8-9. and nine. We shall see. But we'll go over all that. Uh, rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere they're found. Follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan to find out when that episode's coming if you don't get automatic alerts from your subscriptions. And prayers for DeMar Hamlin, of course, his family, the Bills organization, everybody within the league, a lot of people affected by this. So prayers to him first and foremost. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 